Let's read our text. So again, this is the last week of Jesus. We're particularly looking at a time when religious leadership, the Pharisees uh, of the day are really uh, angry. They're, they're ready to try to kill Jesus, trap him. So let's, let's just read a little bit. So Jesus has already just, he's been in the temple. He's been teaching. He's given parables to share with them and warn them. Here's what's going wrong in your heart. You're missing the Messiah when he came and here's why. Lots of pride, self-salvation. So Jesus has been using parables to speak into them so that hopefully they can see where they are, but they don't, okay, they don't. And now it gets a little worse. Now the tensions are higher. So here's where we are. Uh, Look at verse 15, Matthew 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true and you teach the way of God truthfully. And you don't care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearance. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus aware of their malice said, why put me to the test you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is, inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. All right, as you can see, uh, Jesus gets right to the heart of what they don't see. They're not rendered to rendering to God the things that are God's. And so we're, we're gonna pray and we want, we're gonna take our time through this, but I wanna ask you to pray as we have been in every sermon before I pray, namely, um, I mean, Jill walked us through like, uh, hey, God, show me my heart. And so I, I thank God for that. The thing I want us to pray for in addition to that is, uh, Holy Spirit, will you help me know where I'm not rendering to you what's yours? Ask him that and, and then ask him and help me to love rendering. Help me to love giving it over. When you show me it, help me to love that. So what is it? And help me to love giving that surrender, giving it back to you. Uh, but, but here's where it really is more important because again, like, you know, you're in a, a chair and I'm up here, but like, if you can imagine, like we're just a church, like we're just family. We're like, you know, in a living room. We want what God wants for our lives. We want to fight for each other in this. And so I want you to pray and expect God to answer the prayer. Will you show me what that looks like? Cause it's, it's easy for us to pray like, okay, you know, he'll show you an area in your life during the sermon and you'll go, okay, like, thank you. But ask him to show you what it would look like to render that. And then, and then know he'll give you the grace to do it. Okay? All right. You, you pray, and then I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll start. Uh, Father, I just, I just know some of us in this room just feel meh, like even praying to you right now. We're just like, no. And 
And we don't even know how to search our own hearts sometimes. We don't even know where that mess coming from. But your love is so crazy. Your love and your word is so sharp. It can pierce through our meh. And I just, I ask that you would do that. And I just, I pray for, for those of us who feel stuck, feel dry, feel tired. Lord, I, I pray you'd give us a hunger to want to hear. Like I pray you'd give us an alertness. Even if we have to stand and sit at the back and not fall asleep, that you would just give us this like, okay, I want to I want to meet with God right now in this gathering. I'm sick of feeling meh. And so Holy Spirit, I ask that you would that you would use the spiritual gift that you've given me to spiritually change and strengthen those and, and use your word. Your word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is, it's like a lion that roars. It, I pray we'd hear it and I pray we would, we would respond to you. And Father, today's a weird day. It's a mixed day. It's, a, it's an exciting day. We, on, we have the great father. It's, you're the best dad. And so we just thank you for being a great dad to us. And I pray we would remember you well today. And I also just pray for our fathers. Thank you for the fathers in this room. I pray that you would encourage them. And Lord, thank you that our identity is not being a dad, being a great father, but it's being in Christ. But I just, I pray for a great day and pray for those who didn't have a great dad or have now still an absent dad, that you would be such a great comforter today. And I pray they would sense you holding their hand somehow. And so just... Yeah, be with us now. Teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so I got some fun points for us today. We got three points. So here they are. We're gonna look at this in three sections because it's a, it's a small text, but we need some points to help us walk through. First, we're gonna look at the malicious plot. There's a malicious, you know, they're trying to trap him. So the malicious plot, then Jesus does a massive mic drop, okay? You know, I might be aged, but I'm not that old because mic drops are still cool. Uh, and then the main purpose of your life. So the militia, these are the three sections. We'll look at the plot itself and then Jesus's mic drop and then the purpose of your life. So that's where we're going. Look first, the, the, the malicious plot. So Jesus, if you remember now, he just came into Jerusalem. It's, it's most packed because it's the Passover. Everyone's there. He has uh, on Tuesday walked into the temple, saw that they were trading animals to try to buy the sacrifice that they needed. So they didn't have to bring their own. They're making a profit. So he flips over the tables and he's, he's cleansed it. And then there's this uproar with the religious leadership and everyone around is like, this could be our Messiah. They sang Hosanna. So all eyes are on Jesus and he's teaching in the temple. He's just uh, spoke judgment really over them for, for rejecting their redeemer right in front of them three times as we looked at in the last three weeks. And then we look at this, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. Okay, how many of you, you can just picture this. Okay, you just picture these huge religious people. You know, I don't know why they're huge, but they're just big. And they're, they're all kind of plotting together. This word plot means conference. They're like, let's hold a conference to figure out how to trap him, okay? Because that's what religious people do. They love to figure out ways to make you feel small, belittled, so that when you leave from them, you're more insecure and unaware of the Father's love. You're more focused on what you need to do, not what God has done. So they're just trying to trap Jesus. Uh, so what do they do? Verse 16, 
and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Okay, we just, we're just gonna pause. This is such an important detail uh, around seeing who the entourage is. Because this trap, just so you know, is a, a perfect trap. Like the fact that all the gospels record this one shows how intense and how well-conferenced they got on this issue. So who's there? First of all, we know the Pharisees. We talk about them a lot. They're the ones who, they're like the pastors, the Bible teachers. They're the ones in charge of the temple. They are the ones looking for the Messiah to overthrow Rome. So they don't like Rome and they wanna get Jesus trapped. And so they don't come themselves. Did you notice who they sent? Their disciples. So this is, Luke records in his account, they, he calls them spies. So these, this is not like, you know, scared Pharisees. These are like tactic. Let's send in the guys that Jesus doesn't know about and like, let's make it really innocent. But also some of the Herodians, you guys come too. Okay, so you can, you know, because they, they, you can see they, they give Jesus all this flattery. They're like, you know, we know that you're true and you teach the way of God. And so they're like, <laughs> okay, who, wait, who are, who are the Herodians? This is, this is a big one. Here's, give you a little history lesson. I'll say first though, we don't have a lot. Okay, we don't have a lot in manuscript evidence and even historical evidence other than what's in their names. So the Herodians, like the word Christians means follower of Christ, belonging to Christ. The Herodians were the guys who belonged to Herod. So they followed Herod. They wanted what Herod's reign was all about. Uh, and they were not religious. They were highly political, highly political. They were devoted to, war, to Rome. Give you a brief history lesson. So the Herods, this is like Herod the Great, Antipas, Herod Achilles, they, they ruled Palestine up until AD 6, which is just a few years after Jesus is born. And, and what Herod did before then is he split the kingdom and he gave two uh, areas to two different sons. So he gave uh, the first in the north, Galilee, Perea, to one of his sons, the second Samaria, uh, and in AD 6, Archelaus, who was the son ruling in the south, what happened was he was overthrown by Rome. So Rome takes over the south of the, Herod, the, the Herod's reign, and they put a governor in place. That's Pilate. So you still, have, you, you still have north and south. The Herodians still ruled in the north. So check this out. What they want constantly is to make Rome happy. They wanna scratch Rome's back because maybe Rome might give them the south back or they will just make sure to keep the north. So the Herodians did everything they could to please Rome. They would try to catch the, you know, the zealots, those who were rebelling. They were the ones who were always trying to please Rome so that Rome could do them some favors. But here's what we need to know, they hated Rome too. So you have two groups who hate Rome, all of them want this guy dead. Okay, that's a pretty intense group of people, okay? Not an easy crowd, it gets even more intense, more intense. The tax, okay, so the question they bring to Jesus um, was not an ordinary tax. It was, uh, so you know, there's tax on, you know, in our life, we know there's tax, but there's tax on food, goods, services, this kind of thing. In, in uh, their day, they would have this tax that came annually. It was for everyone, man and woman, and it was considered a head tax. Basically, this was Caesar saying, you gotta pay me because I'm yours. This was an insult to all the people saying, I belong to Caesar. And so there was a huge debate. There was huge arguments. They did not want to pay this tax at all. It meant you would live under his kingship. Why is this a hot topic? Well, 
you can imagine, like imagine someone invades Canada, takes over everything and then says, you're gonna pay all your own taxes, but you're also gonna pay a tax because I own you. And all that money goes to my war, my kingship, my throne. You'd be, we'd be a little upset because we don't know how many of you love paying your taxes right now. No one, you, because spirit filled. You actually look like Jesus, Thomas. So it all, it all kind of makes sense. Um, but I will say, no one does. No one wants to pay their taxes. Here's why it's a hot topic. On the coin itself, okay, here's an image of it. Uh, the denarius, which was invented by Caesar, he had his own face put on it. And on one side, it said, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine. So one side of the coin, it's like son of God. The other side of the coin, it says Pontifex Maximus, that is high priest. So here's a king who's like, I'm your God and your high priest. So the Jews flipped out. The Pharisees were like, no, we do not do this. They are watching Jesus. Are you gonna be blasphemous? Are you gonna lose all your people? Jesus wouldn't even, you shouldn't even touch a coin, okay? Okay, there's more. Whoa, this is exciting. Okay, 25 years, his, his, his historians tell us, 25 years before this time period, this day, when the tax was implemented, there was an insurrection. There was an armed revolt led by a man named Judas the Galilean. You can actually read about him in, in Acts as well. When Judas the Galilean led the revolt, here's what he did, he did three things. First, he called the Jews to refuse to pay the head tax. So he's like, don't pay it. So Rome's getting a little angry. Second, with an armband, he went and listen, he cleansed the temple. He threw out all the Romans who were not of Jewish lineage, all the Jedi, threw them out. Third, as I learned this week, he said things like, now we're gonna let God be our king, not Caesar. We're gonna bring in the kingdom of God. We're gonna get rid of injustice. We're gonna get rid of oppression. We're gonna bring in the kingdom. He was attacked. He was caught and he was executed. So it's 25 years later, Jesus has just cleansed the temple. In all of Jesus' teachings, he's teaching about the kingdom. This is the main question. Everyone's watching him. They're basically saying, are you a revolutionary? What team are you on? You preach is all about the kingdom. You're not swayed by others. What do you think about the head tax? Nobody there is seeing Jesus get out of this unscathed. Like no one, this is like the, they, they had the ultimate conference. Jesus is done, right? They're probably like, you know, texting in their, their order for dinner that night. This is gonna be great. Tell us then, verse 17, what you think. Is it, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Okay, this is, this is the ultimate trap, okay? This is like when, when Thanos has every diamond on. Everyone's just like, we're all gonna get evaporated, okay? Hope you didn't see the movie. Well, that's the first one, you're fine. This is like, this is like when, you know, like uh, Jafar is like at the very end scene, Aladdin's out in some desert and the genie's stuck and this, you can't get out, you can't get out. This is big. Why? On one hand, and I think you can get this, but I'll say it anyways. If Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, or no, if he says, no, don't pay the tax, he's calling for an armed revolt. The Herodians right there will pounce. On the other hand, if he says, yeah, you know what, pay the tax, the disciples and everybody around are gonna not only be like, hey, I thought we were looking for a Messiah to replace Caesar. How dare you go that route? Because here's the other thing is Jesus wasn't like, 
his kingdom wasn't like, hey, you know, just invite me in your heart. It doesn't really matter. Like it's, you know, like uh, religion's private. Just keep that private. Your public stuff, you just do that. He was saying the kingdom changes everything. The kingdom changes how we're gonna respond to the poor. We're gonna stop injustice. Like it was a tangible kingdom. Like when he walks into the temple and does another mic drop and says, you know, rolls open Isaiah and says, hey, today this is gonna be fulfilled in your hearing. We're gonna release captives free. We're gonna give sight to the blind. Like this kingdom was changing people. So if he's like, you know, it's all about your heart. Don't worry about doing real physical things with Caesar and devoting your life to him. So here's, the, here's his choices. He either says yes, pay the tax, loses the people and his followers. He says, no, he's crushed. So what is he gonna do? Okay, so here's the mic drop, okay? There's no greater mic drop than this mic drop, okay? Obama, you thought he had a cool mic drop when he, you know, like made fun of Trump. This is better. This is a better mic drop. Verse 18, but Jesus aware of their malice said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Okay, we're gonna do a whole sermon on hypocrisy on chapter 23, so we'll leave that. Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Okay, just stop there. The word Jesus uses for whose likeness is the word image. Show me whose image is on this coin. Who does this coin belong to? I love that he doesn't give them an immediate yes or no. He calls them to discern. He calls them to think. And then comes the mic drop. He says, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So what's he saying? What's his answer? Well, it's both and it's neither. In a way, he at the same time resists what's on the coin and accepts what's on the coin. His answer in a way firms on the one hand, one's obligation to the government, but more importantly and above all to God. So of course he says, if you, if you know, if, if, you benefit from under Caesar and you get protection from Rome and you, you use their streets and all their resources, then you give the government its due. Paul, by the way, takes a similar stance in Romans 13, where he calls on believers to, uh, verse one, be subject to the governing authorities. Why? Here's, For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. So he's like, give to everyone you owe, who, you owe them. If you owe taxes, we pay our taxes. If we owe the government respect, we give them respect. If revenue, then revenue. If honor, then honor. Elsewhere in the Bible, there's a lot of places, kind of a different sermon, but in Timothy, he says, pray for your leaders, those who are in governing authority over you. So we're called to do that. We're also called to show them dignity. But he says, we must not give what is not due. So saying... In saying the things that are Caesar's give back to Caesar, the question becomes in this, what belongs to Caesar? After all, Psalm 24 says this, and this will be on the screen. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Romans 11, for from him and through him and to him are 
all things. By the way, there's an amazing moment coming up. We won't get to it because it's in John's gospel, but it's where Jesus stands before Pilate and he doesn't open his mouth because Jesus is gonna take the hammer of judgment for us. He doesn't need to justify himself because he's doing a different mission. But Pilate, listen to what Pilate says. It won't be up there, but I'll, Pilate says this, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? That's what Pilate says. I'm the governor. You're not gonna get out of this. Listen to what Jesus says to him. Like just absolute power. He says this, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Can you imagine that sentence coming from the man who's claiming to be God? Like that's just, you know, that's amazing. Like we're citizens of another kingdom. If you're a Christian here, this is true. Like this isn't like, Oh, it's the way we think. No, this is like in all reality, you have a citizenship elsewhere. Like the moment you actually became a believer, you had this citizenship. You have an inheritance. You, we're, we're just ambassadors. We're, we're, this is not even home. It's not. So he's saying, Although we're called to honor the government, we ultimately are to obey and honor God. We don't follow in full allegiance this world. That is, there's exceptions in what we're able to render if it's contrary to God's word. Let me give you one more quote. What Jesus Christ is saying is, you may give Caesar some of what he wants, which is his money, but you cannot give Caesar ultimately what he wants which is to completely accept his system, his system of coercion, his system of injustice, his system of exclusion. He wants ultimate allegiance. He wants no one to sit in judgment on him, but we can't give him that. Okay, and we know just like in the Bible, remember in Exodus, the midwives, when the kings like kill all the two-year-olds and under, what do they do? They don't listen, they don't obey because they're following a different king, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we love those guys. What do they do? They don't bow down. Or in Acts, the apostles are being told by these religious people, stop preaching the gospel. And what do they say in Acts 5? They say, we must obey God rather than men. So practically, let's get a little practical. Jesus, really important here, he is not in any particular political party. We can't push him into one, nor should we try to. He doesn't, he doesn't let himself get into one. He supersedes all of them. So we have to be very careful to be like, he would, he would vote this way. We can't do that. He doesn't, let, he doesn't let himself get in there. Moreover, our call, I believe, is to be like Jesus. That is full of wisdom, full of compassion, full of seeing what's best is others' view of who God is for them. That we're not called to belittle the government and others who oppose God's position and I, I just, I think the church just needs to do a better job before we post anything on social media. Maybe we should pray. Maybe we should listen to First Timothy 2 and pray for our leaders. Before we post anything on our, these hot topics, may we just think a little longer on how would a conversation with Christ look like? Instead of saying, hey, here's how bad you are. At the same time, we're not to be silent. It's one of the reasons I wanna do this series. We, we, we cannot be silent because the question I have for the church these days is where are you rendering to Caesar 
the things that are God's. Where, where are we rendering to Caesar what is God's? Like, what is God's? Is, is who you are, is your gender God's? Is, is your marriage God's? Is, does God have an opinion? Does God have a love? Does God have a design? Does God have a voice? These religious leaders, you gotta follow me, they were functionally living out of their own self-salvation plan. And it's the same error in our culture when we look at the, what the Bible calls sin and we call it something else. And why is that a huge error? Well, the moment we begin to say to our family and friends, listen, everyone's right to define his or her own concept of existence. You can determine your own right or meaning or of who you are and who, no one should tell you what's right for you. We're placing ourselves or we're allowing them to place themselves as Caesars over their lives. And in so doing, not only will we consign the church to lose its biblical faithfulness and its voice and message, which is the salt, which is what our culture needs. It will consign the church to mislead millions of people about their need for Christ. If there's no such thing as sin or the right way to live your life, then you'll never come to a savior because they'll be trusting in themselves. Same issue in the hearts of the Pharisees. But here's Jesus' point. Whose image is stamped on the coin? What do they say? Caesar's. Sure, church, let me ask us, whose image is stamped on you? God's. Right? Genesis 1, 26 says we're made in the image of God. We're to give God who, what has his image on it. And that's us. Jesus is saying, don't give to any government what you owe to God. And what is that? Ultimate glory, ultimate allegiance, full, complete devotion, love, your heart. What, what belongs to God? Everything, right? Everything. It's all his, right? His, our jobs, who do they belong to? God, right? Our singleness, who does that belong to? God, our retirement, who does that belong to? God, it's all God's. We're, we're just ambassadors. We're to think I'm, you know, I've been bought. Everything's his. I'm just a steward. What do you want me to do with this? It's yours, right? We're to think that way. We're to, we're just, we're, we have heaven forever. And so we don't think I need to build an identity. I already have an identity. It's been given to me. So now I can take this new identity and I can live out from it. And I can, I can show Christ, I can exalt God. That's why, you know, Paul says things like, you know, when you go to work, he says like, don't go to work to your boss as people pleasers, but work unto the Lord, work heartily unto God. That's why he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. He's like, everything about your life is now God's. You've been bought with the price. So honor God in your body, right? It's all God's, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, it's all God's. It's all God's, yeah, it is. So this is the mic drop. This is it. This is the ultimate answer. So here's my question to you. Can I ask you, are you rendered to God? Where are you not rendering to God? Who has your heart ultimately? 
Like what system, what, what issue has your heart? Who has your allegiance? In, in the context of this passage we're in, Jesus knew in these religious leaders what was missing. He knew God didn't truly have what he requires of them, what he's after most, what's best for their joy, their life. You know, like Jesus would constantly preach, like, like I've come that they may have joy and joy to the full. And he would be like, my yoke is easy and light, like just attached to me. And like, you know, he's weeping at, at um, Lazarus' funeral because he hates death. And he, he just is such a loving God. And, and he did all these things in front of them. And, and they just were like, we got our own way. Second Chronicles 9, a, a prophecy written to them in the Jewish people at that time, but applies to us as this, this is the NASB, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Completely his. Rendering to God is a posture of the heart. So, so if that's, you know, the malicious plot, the mic drop, what's the purpose of your life? The purpose of your life is to humbly climb off the throne of your own life and invite Jesus, who's already reigning, to reign in the rightful place. It's, it's, it's to make sure, I mean, there's a lot of purpose I'm gonna say here in a second, but let me say this, make sure you don't have little Caesars, okay? Not the pizza. You should also make sure you don't have the pizza because... It's, you, we should know when it's like $5.99 that like, it's not gonna be good for our lives. But, but we have to make sure you don't have these little Caesars. And, and here's what I mean. I think we do the same thing as these Pharisees. Like, like we kind of skipped over it, but when they come to Jesus, they have a different agenda than to get Jesus. They would rather get him killed, but I think in a different way, I think oftentimes we in the church, we go to God to get from God his stuff. Or we go to God to get from God something other than him. That we first go, prime, and there's nothing wrong with casting your cares upon the Lord. Like I just think that's what, you need to have the freedom to pray like a child and be like, I want some water. But is your first primary heart to get from God? Because here's what you'll do. We do this. I was convicted of this. We'll flatter them. We'll pull out promises. We'll pray because we want something from him. Hey, you, you promised to never leave us or forsake us. And we'll flatter him a little bit to get what we want more than we want him. And I just, I think it's, there's something in here, in here for us to just check the consistency of our prayer lives, is it always, God, you're not working things out for me? Or is it God, I need you to be everything for me? And he, he loves us in the mess. So don't hear me saying we can't go to God, 
but you know when you're flattering. So how do we do this? How do we render to God the things that are God's? If everything's God's, what do we do? Well, we begin, you know, like Hebrews 12 says, like we run the race looking to Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter. So let's look to Jesus. We see, how did Jesus render to God the things that are God's? Because one of the things you have to constantly remember is in every command God gives us, Jesus obeyed it perfectly for us. So Jesus has done this. Let me show you a prayer. This is so cool. And this is where your purpose comes in place. Verse three, this is John 17. This is the most, I think, treasured pieces of scripture we have on the planet. This is an inward, like if you just read John 17, you have to be amazed. This is an inward conversation of the Trinity of God, the one God who exists in three persons. This is a conversation that we actually get to hear the prayer life of Jesus. Listen to what he prays to God the Father in verse three. And this is eternal life. Is this up here? That they know you. That's eternal life. This is the greatest thing, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth. That's your purpose. I glorified you on earth. That should be the purpose statement of your life. I glorified, I, I showed the beauty and I enjoyed and ex exalted in the, in the worth that you are and the beauty. I glorified you on earth. How? Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I have with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. So Jesus models that we exist to glorify God in all we do. But think about it. He rendered to God all that was God's. He rendered all his time to God. He rendered all his mission to God. He rendered all his hours to God. He rendered all his purposes to God, right? I mean, to the point where like the disciples are like, can't even get it right. They like bring him a sandwich and he's at the woman at the well and they're like, How, here, are you hungry? And he's like, I got food that you don't know of. And he throws it. I don't know if he throws it, but you know, you're just like, what? That's, he was just always rendering his, his mind to God what he looked at to God, he was totally rendered to God. Why? Because he was doing something so powerful. If it's true, like we saw last week and like the Bible teaches clearly that you were adopted, chosen before you took your first breath, before the foundation of the world, guess who you belong to before you were even born? God. And he just said, I have manifested my name to them. And he's gonna go on to pray for not only them, but those others who you gave me. So here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus rendered himself to the cross so that he could bring us into the father's home. Like you were rendered, you were, you were bought back. The father had Jesus pay for what you owed so that you could be in heaven with him. The gospels you've been rendered to God because of what Jesus did. And because of that, you can render everything too. So I just want you to think, because this is not me trying to convince you. This is, you know, if the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life, which I hope he does and he will, and you want him to, then you have to answer these questions. Not me, I'm just the mailman. So here's the question. I mean, what's holding you back? What's unrendered to him? Like, what are you still going, nope, 
this is mine and I will do what I want with it. Tell him that. Just tell him that. Just tell him. Tell him where you feel like he like. Like it's just tell him. But I want you to be encouraged right now if you're wrestling. Like if you're wrestling right now, as I have, it just shows that the Holy Spirit's in you. The fact that you're wrestling right now is evidence that you don't want anything, whatever, whatever it is to replace God. Like you really want what God wants. You do, or you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be in this wrestle. You would, because right now you're kind of hating whatever's getting in the way between you and Jesus and, and you're not sure where your loves are and you're, what does that teach me? It teaches me that you, you really must want him. Like you do. I think sometimes we don't believe our new hearts are real. You know, like you really do want God and you should find some encouragement in your Russell. Okay? He loves you. But, th- but this is the posture. The posture of a heart is a heart of surrender. And I, I want to close because it's getting hot in here. Um, but I also want to close with sharing. Uh, some of you know I've been studying Jonathan Edwards, looking at his resolves, uh, his, his determinations, how he's going to organize his life spiritually. He, was, he wrote these resolves at 17, 18 years old, chose to read them to himself every week. So he's got 70 of them. But I felt like this one was for this sermon. And then I came across a journal entry he did I want to share as well. And then we're going to pray together. Okay, here's the first one. Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory. So this, is a, this was a resolve. He would read this every week that I will be totally rendered. He resolved to obey this passage, rendered to God the things that are God's. That I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good profit and pleasure. By the way, those are the same things. By doing that first, he knew if I glorified God in everything I do, that's gonna give me the greatest good and the greatest pleasure. In the whole of my duration, without any consideration of the time, whether now or never, so many myriads of ages hence. We, we should text each other and close with our text, hence. Hence, henceforth, hence. Hence forever. Okay. Listen to what he writes. Listen to what he writes in his journal. Okay. If you look back at your old journals, or maybe it's like, dear, you know, listen to how he writes. This is a good journal. I claim no right to myself, no right to this understanding, to this will, these affections that are in me. Neither do I have any rights to this body or its members, no right to this tongue, no right to these hands, no right to these feet, to these ears, to these eyes. I have given myself clear way and not retain anything of my own. I have been to God this morning and I have told him I have given myself wholly to him. I've given every power within me so that in the future I claim no right to myself in any respect. I take him as my whole portion in happiness, looking upon nothing else for my happiness. I purpose to be absolutely his. Edwards had made up his mind that he would live with an unwavering 
deliberation to promote God's glory. Is that in us, there's a reason Jonathan Edwards was Jonathan Edwards. And so I want us to go into a time of prayer and I, I want us to want this. I want us to ask God to give us a spiritual purpose, a resolve that we will come to texts like Matthew 22 and go, this is my new purpose. I want to be fixed. I want to be settled. I want this. Do whatever it takes. Later in his journal, he says, I will fight with all my might against the world, the flesh and the devil to the end of my life. Henceforth, I am not to act in any respect as my own. I shall act as my own if I ever make any use of all my powers to do anything that is not to the glory of God. That's what I want us to pray. Like we said with the spiritual gifts, they're not ours, therefore others. They're gods, they're given to us. That's like everything. Imagine what a church would look like if everything was gods, rendered to God, fully gods. And I know we're gonna fight and I know we're gonna, the enemy is just in pursuit. And I know already we've thought of things that make us the, the one who, who couldn't do that. But Edward wasn't trusting in himself. He prayed those resolves. And we need that. Paul says like, I, I, I worked harder than any of them, but it wasn't I, but the grace of God working in me. Right, grace is not opposed to effort, as one said, it's opposed to earning. Are you resolved? do its most to God's glory. If not, pray for that. Let's pray for that. 